Um, last week we uh, had a message on, uh, actually I changed it, Luke, Luke 7 on uh, uh, Jesus' meal, uh, our Thanksgiving meal with Jesus. And this week I'm going to go back to Philippians and uh, talk about uh, Paul's Thanksgiving from prison given the fact that we've been talking about Thanksgiving. You know, one of the things that Satan hates the most about Christians, he doesn't like us giving Thanksgiving. He does not. I mean, it, it really bugs him when we, when we uh, give thanks uh, to God for all of his benefits. And uh, as I was listening to, uh, you know, the praises and the, and the, and the prayers, certainly... That's one of the things that Satan hates. Is, uh, he hates to hear people giving thanks and praise to, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ because he would rather that he silence people. I mean, that's, Satan's goal is to silence the praise of the church because if he can silence the praise, then he silences the thing that um, the witness of the church. But then if he silences the witness of the church, he also can silence the worship of the church. Because Satan wants to be worshipped. He doesn't want us to worship the one only true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, as we're going to look at this this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at circumstances. Because circumstances are the one thing that Paul points out in Scripture that often hinders our ability to be thankful. That oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, I'm doing well under the circumstances. And then you should ask them, and we should ask ourselves when we say that, well, what are you doing standing under the circumstances? You know, because technically circumstances do have a big, play a big part in how we react to, the, to life. And so Paul is dealing uh, with uh, a, a unique situation in his life where he's in prison. And he's not just in prison for, you know, an overnight stay. He's in prison for two years in Rome. So you can figure that... Uh, Paul's circumstances are somewhat difficult, if not, uh, uh, and somewhat trying at this point in his life. But, but in Philippians, his whole point is we can still have the joy of the Lord despite circumstances. And you say, well, how is that possible? Well, Paul gives us the, the ways that's possible here in um, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at Paul's prayer and then his, uh, as, he, as he talks about uh, what he prays for other believers and for himself. And, and, and it's kind of a model prayer in a way for us to think about how do we pray for others? How can we best pray for other brothers and sisters going through the trials that we face in our day and age, uh, especially with COVID and with uh, all, the diff- all the uncertainty around us? We need to ask ourselves, well, how should we pray? And, and Paul gives us a real good model here. And we're going to look at uh, verses 9 through uh, verse verse 18 here in this section. But uh, open your, uh, if you have the scriptures, then open the word to, to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up with Paul's been giving thanks for the Philippians. And now he, verse 9, he's going to pray for them. And his prayer is going to give us, you might say, Paul's secret, the secret that he had in his life for living a life of thanksgiving. And, it's, and he's going to pick up on that theme all throughout the book. But notice in verse 9, and it's my prayer... Now he's praying for the Philippians that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ 
to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that, to that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former pro proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now what then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You, you kind of get an idea of Paul's joy that he has here. So we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, let us pray. Father, as we come to the word, and, and certainly, Lord, we thank you for the witness uh, of your church that we can, uh, Father, we witness uh, your mercies daily, and it tells us to count those blessings daily. And even in the midst of our trials, Lord, there's a lot of struggle that we go through in life. And uh, Lord, I pray that as, uh, as we think about our circumstances, that we would also remember what it is that you're doing in our lives, that, uh, Father, that you're accomplishing your purposes. We don't understand them. And we don't uh, comprehend the way that you work. But Lord, we know that it's your, it's your work and that nothing can halt uh, what you have begun in us. Uh, you will complete in the day of Christ. So, Lord, we ask for... Uh, the needs of this church and the, the hearts of each one here this morning and those that can't be here. And we ask that you administer your grace to our, our, our hearts this morning as we hear your word, as we meditate on it, and as we think upon how uh, your word, Lord, is, uh, is uh, truly a, a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. And so we give you thanks for it in Christ's precious name. Amen. So Paul had a plan to go to Rome. Uh, he tells us that as uh, when he wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, he says, you know, my plan has been all along to go and preach the gospel in Rome. And if you think about Rome, Rome had close to a million people at this point. So Paul, as he's writing, he writes this uh, to the Romans from Corinth on his third missionary journey. And he said, I want to come to Rome. He says, but so far I've been prevented. But he says, I, but I plan to go there to, to, to preach the gospel. And I don't know in Paul's mind if you were going to preach at probably one of the biggest cities and actually the capital of the Roman Empire, you would probably think, well, you know, I'd like to go there and have uh, maybe, maybe we could have a, a large group of people meet in the amphitheater and, and have a, you know, kind of a Billy Graham crusade kind of uh, thing, you know, a little, a, a large audience, uh, you know, have a, make a big splash, make a big impression uh, for the gospel and for the kingdom. And that's a good thing. And so that's, that's Paul's plan. But, Paul has, but God has a different plan for Paul, doesn't he? Because Paul, as he, so, so you could say he writes Romans, and then maybe, so Jen, then he goes, uh, as, as he goes back to Jerusalem, he gets arrested. And, uh, and, he, and as he's getting arrested and he's on trial from uh, Feast, Festus and Felix, uh, they put him on trial, and he says, well, I appeal to Rome. And then on his way to Rome... He gets, he gets shipwrecked. That wasn't a part of his plan, not his plan at least, but that was a part of God's plan. Uh, but, and then as he's on the island, you remember as he's picking up wood, he gets bit by a serpent, which he should have died, but he didn't die 
because God had a different plan. And, of course, uh, he, gets, he gets to Rome, but he gets to Rome not as a free man, but as a man who's chained between uh, two guards. And for two years, Paul is in prison. And you're thinking, okay, now, Paul, you're in Rome. Now what do you do? Uh, and under those circumstances, I think we would probably, I mean, I, I'm thinking of myself and how I might be reacting to what God is doing in my life. And I might be questioning a couple of things. One of them I think I would question is, did I get God's plan right? Does God really love me? Why is this God allowing me to go through two years of imprisonment? Why, why is this happening? You know, you, you, you can't help but to ask those questions, right? And, and so Paul's in his own mind is thinking, well, wh- uh, I'm sure was, was thinking, well, well, why is this happening? What's God's purpose in mind? Um, I think in my own case, I would be a little frustrated with God. And I'd have to say I might be a little angry at God. You know, you, know, you read the Psalms, sometimes the psalmist is angry. You, know, you, you can't hide our feelings. God knows our feelings, and, and he knows that. But for some reason, something else dominated Paul's thinking as he's sitting in prison. Because he realizes that Satan has one goal in your Christian life. And that's to silence your praise. To silence the word of God. To silence the workers. To silence the witness. And if he does that, he silences worship. And so Paul is, is un, he, as he begins to thank God for the Philippians, he prays for them that they might do, that something might happen in their life so that they might choose the right thing when they're going through trials in their life. And I don't think anyone here is probably exempt from trials, right? I mean, think about, I mean, each of our circumstances are different. We, we you know, we get the call or we get... Uh, we are faced with some crisis of health issue. And all of those things are things that all of a sudden they were, were face-to-face with reality and the hard knocks of life. And in that moment, it's, it's a good time to stop and think, well, what is God doing? Because we know that God causes all things to work together, together for the good of those that love God and are are called according to his purpose. And you say, but what good can God get out of this? This is a tragedy that struck my life. But Paul is dominated in his thinking by three things. But I think one of the things that he does here is that in his prayer, he prays for us as Christians to pray for one another that our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for others would grow. He says, I know you love each other, but I want that love to abound more and more in wisdom and knowledge and wisdom. In other words, the more that you and I learn about God's love for us, the more we're going to be enabled and empowered by God to love other people. I, I've, you know, it's, it's, so you, you see that in verse 9 there. He says that my prayer, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. He's just saying you know, that, that, that as a Christian, I'm, I'm called to love God and to love others But I can't even do that unless I understand how much God's love for me is unconditional. God doesn't love me because I do certain things on Sunday or or that I read my Bible every day. That's not why God loves me. God loves me unconditionally. That's what grace is. God's grace is unmerited. And when that, and so he's asking and praying that you and I might abound in that kind of love 
for not only for God, but for others. But when we realize God loves us unconditionally, it's easier to love somebody, right? I mean, think about it. When, when two people get married, uh, they make these statements. They'll love, love each other uh, in life and, uh, you know, and whatever trial, you know, sickness, health, better or worse, till what? Death do us part. That's an unconditional statement, isn't it? That, you know, boy, there's going to be hard times in our marriage and there's going to be difficult times in our marriage, but regardless of the good times and the bad times, our love is intended to last forever until death do us part. And Paul's saying that kind of love is God intends for that kind of love to dwell in your and my heart. What he's talking about, he's talking about spiritual maturity is growing in the love and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, and peace. And as we're growing in our understanding of God's love for us, then he says, now let that love grow in you for God and for other people. Because when that happens, he says, then, he says, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. Not just what's good, not what's just, it's okay, but you'll, you'll approve the thing that's most excellent. And it's kind of like, you remember Mary and Martha, Luke chapter 10? Jesus, uh, Jesus comes to their house. He's eating dinner. And uh, Martha's busy, right? It says she's busy serving the Lord. So she's preparing the meal. And, and you think that, ladies, and you know, if Jesus showed up at your house, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to clean and dust. And you're going to be... You know, windows have to be, I mean, they have to be, you know, you know, cleaned. I mean, there's the floors have to be mopped and remopped, and, and there's every dish in the place has to be clean. I mean, uh, the food has to be just right, and, 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 you know, and you've spent days preparing the menu, and all these things are happening, and Martha's busy. And you say, well, Martha, wow, you know, I'm pretty impressed with Martha, but what's, what's wrong with Mary? She's sitting at Jesus' feet. And you're saying, what's she doing? And of course, Martha, now many of us, I'd have to say, are Martha's, aren't right? When we were, we're, we're, Jesus is coming, I'm busy. But the hardest thing in the world is to stop, like Mary, and says, look, Jesus is coming, he's teaching, I'm going to be sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus tells, and Mar now this is interesting too, as you go, Mar what Martha, Martha does is she comes to Jesus and she's complaining, she says, Jesus, I'd like to, to give you some advice. Would you tell Mary <laughs> to come and help me in the kitchen? I mean, would you get her off of her, her backside so that she can come and help me? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're distracted with so many different things. He says, and Mary has chosen the best, the most excellent. That's the, that's the word there. The most excellent thing, and that will not be taken away. There's times when we just to sit and listen to God. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. So as our love grows for the Lord and for his people, guess what? There are times when it just, God is just saying, look, you'll choose the most excellent thing. And that sometimes is, you know, it might just be sitting down and listening to the word as it's, God speaks to you through scripture, through a song, through things that, through uh, providence. I mean, think about it. Paul is listening to God, right? But he's chained in prison. He has, uh, in fact, he, uh, the, 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 the chains for, for a prisoner were about 18 inches. So he was always 18 inches from another soldier. 
both sides. Now, think about that 24-7 for two years. Now, I think I'd be doing a little complaining. I mean, I have to, I mean I'm being honest about where I, where I would be struggling is, Lord, I, I know you love me, but would you not love me that much? Would you just kind of let up a little more? Because this is not really comfortable. But, but see, Jesus is saying, but, and, and Jesus is saying through the Apostle Paul here is that God wants our love to grow so much that we will be in those moments choosing what's excellent. And basically that means that we can then begin to understand that everything that happens to me as, a, as, as, God's, as one of God's children happens to me for a purpose. And it's an indication that God, but God's love is not in any way diminished by my circumstances. It's only enhanced. And, and so, so Paul's goal, he says, is that when we are able to choose more of that which is excellent, then the fruit of righteousness is just all the fruit of the Spirit is, is how God uses our life to witness to other people when things happen to us. I mean, have you ever had somebody come to you, why are you, why are you giving thanks? You should be just totally despairing. You should be falling apart right now, Right? They can't understand how God uses circumstances even in our lives, even to bring us closer to him. I mean, there's things, I mean, think about things that's happened to you and you'd say, you know, I never thought about uh, how much time I should be, uh, or, or maybe just God uses a circumstance to, to cause you to pray more uh, or causes uh, something in your life to be used as a way of opening your eyes to the reality of, hey, eternity is more important in this situation than my temporal things that I lost. Because, you know, we can lose a lot of things in this life. Eventually we lose everything, right? Except, I mean, we even, I mean, our life, the only thing that, that we don't lose is our soul. That's in God's hands. But everything else, by the time, you know, by the time that God calls us home, we lose our health, Right? But in reality, Paul says right in this passage later on, he says, but for me to live as Christ and to die actually is gain. And you're going like, okay, I need to totally rethink the way I live my Christian life. And so Paul is, is kind of giving us his secret here. But one of those secrets is that as he prays, he realizes that God's love has to be dominating our thinking. You are loved by God, not because of who you are, but because of what God has done in your life. In other, words, he's going, in other words, we're adopted into his family, and that means we're kids. We're his kids. And you're saying, but, but this, this, this trial in my life is so hard. I mean, I, want, I, I, did, I, don't, I don't want this. I don't plan for this. I don't want to, to think about it. I don't even want to go through this. And yet God, this is a part of God's loving care in our life. And, and that's, we are, that's because we're children. I know it's a, it's a hard, it's a hardest, hardest lesson in life to, but for Paul, it was kind of like, he says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. In other words, all the trials we go through in life, those are, those, and we do that and we say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm trusting you anyway. <laughs> um, and like Pam was saying this morning, you know, our hope in, is not just in this life. It, it, our hope actually grows through the circumstances and difficulties that God brings us through in our life. We see his hand. What Paul is seeing here is God's providential hand in his circumstances. 
And he's seeing that God is doing something behind the scenes. Now, man is doing something, right? I mean, who are Paul's enemies at this point? The Roman government, <laughs> the Jews who hate him, trying to silence his message. The Romans, who are trying, going to eventually, uh, later on, he's going to actually lose his life, not in this particular case, but later on he actually loses his life. Uh, and all of those circumstances that seem to be working against Paul, yet God is overruling. See, God's providence means that he overrules even the evil intentions of man. I mean, think about Joseph, right? What happened to Joseph? His brothers are envious of what Joseph's doing. They sell him to Egypt as a slave. He spends, what, his whole uh, teenage years plus all of his 20s, about 14 years, either in prison or as a slave in Potiphar's house. Before God uses that, and Joseph says, but you meant it for evil, God meant it for what? Good. Genesis 50, 21 there. In other words, men can intend at, uh, things to be used for our bad, our, our, our not, not our good, but God can use them for our good and for his glory. And so Paul understands that. It's, it's almost like one of the things that helped Paul be thankful and joyful in, in, in his Christian life was understanding God's providence. God's hand is always at work in your life. Never let anyone say that, well, where's God in that situation? He's there. I may not see his hand, but it's there. It may be hidden, but I don't understand it, and I don't agree with it necessarily, and I don't feel good about that, you know, when I got that call. But in reality, God's hand is still there. It's never removed. That's, that's, that's a kind thought, isn't it? Thinking that God never is removed from my trials and my pain and my tears. He, I mean, it says he stores my tears in his bottle. I mean, that's a big bottle, right? <laughs> think about it. I'm thinking back to the Psalms when it says he stores my tears in his bottle. I said, you can think about all the tears of God's people all through the years. I mean, you know, now, now maybe that's just a, you know, I'm thinking of it more physically, but in reality, that God cares that much that even the tears that we shed are precious in God's sight. There's nothing that, that happens to you as a believer that doesn't, that doesn't in some way affect the heart of God. I mean, think about it. He says, even a sparrow that falls, from the falls to the ground and dies, you're more precious than that. That even when a hair from your head falls out, he says, I notice. He gets my attention. I care for you. And that was a great comfort for Paul as he sits there in prison, uh, somewhat maybe, maybe tempted to think that he's trapped by his circumstances. And I know there's been times in my life where I thought I was trapped in my circumstances. I couldn't change them. I wished I could. But there's things that, you know, in your job, your neighborhood, your family, uh, things that you feel like, boy, Lord, if you just change this, life would be so much better. Yet in God's wisdom for, and his love for us, he's using those circumstances to actually cause us to grow in our love for him, to see his loving hand for us. And that's why Paul, I think, as, he, as we see this, we see, so, so, if, so if Satan tries to silence the worker, then what do we need to do? We need to pray for the workers, right? 
So we should pray for one another that our love might abound more and more so that in those moments when we look at providence and, and circumstances and struggles in our life, that we would say, but just that our love might abound. That, that in that moment, I wouldn't despair so much that I would say, forget God. <laughs> uh, it's not an essential service, you know, because what happens? Because worship, I mean, we've been told by what? By COVID, those who are in authority don't understand it that the essential service is not worship. That that's not essential service. Tell that to God. <laughs> uh, or, you know, Satan, and Satan, I mean, he's, I mean, he's dancing in delight when, some, when he hears those types of things. And even more so if Christians believe that that's true, that there's something more important than our worship and something more important than our witness for the glory of God and the witness of Christ and the gospel? No, no, no. It's, and, and so we see that if, if we're growing in our understanding of God's providence, then we will be choosing what's excellent. And guess what the priority is? Well, you notice what Paul's priority was in verse 18. What then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. So the priority becomes, he looks at providence, he looks at God's, God's people, and he says the priority is that Christ is preached. Now, look at what happens to Paul when he thinks about God's providence and the priority. So what happened? The whole Praetorian Guard, the Imperial Guard, is hearing the gospel. He's got a captive audience. <laughs> He's got, those guys can't get away from hey, you. Want to know, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to talk to you about how God loves me. And why I'm here. I'm, I'm here because I really believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that he rose again the third day. They can't get away from that. Guess what happens? God converts them through the word. And then what happens? They go home and tell their families. And their families get converted. They go home and they tell other, other people in the city, their neighbors, and tell them about what this crazy guy, he's, just, he's always giving thanks to God for something that God's done in his life and that he's talking about this, this man named Jesus who, who not only died on the cross, but he rose from the dead. And that's not something that we, we, we've ever heard before. And so when Paul writes at the end of Philippians, you know what he says? He says that, he says, the people from Caesar's household greet you. How in the world did the gospel get to Caesar's household? I mean, isn't that amazing that here Paul is thinking, I'd like to go and have this great evangelistic outreach. And God says, I'm going to reach, the, I'm going to reach Caesar's household with the gospel. Guess what, Paul? Through your suffering. So as we look at our suffering, in our suffering, see how God is using that to reach other people. Because when they look at your suffering and see your faith in Jesus Christ, they say, that's real. Everything else is superficial. Yeah, if everything's going right, yeah, my bank account's full. Everything's, I don't have any trials, have no struggles. And, you know, that, that health and wealth gospel that, you know, it's kind of like the gospel of prosperity. The world looks at that and kind of laughs. Well, yeah, it's easy to praise God if you're, you know. But in those moments when they see a Christian rejoicing in the Lord in their struggles... In their circumstances, guess what they say? That's real. 
That's the real McCoy. That's the real thing. I want that because that will work not just when I'm sick, but that'll work when I die. That, that's, that's, that's the beauty of what Paul, he's got, he's, he's saying, look, my priority is to share that good news. David Livingston was, uh, uh, as you probably, you've heard the name, but he was, he was basically a missionary to Africa and the Congo uh, in the 1800s. And, and um, there was this one reporter that went to interview him because he says, what drives this man to go to the Congo to witness to these to these, uh, to these people that, that he doesn't really know very well. And as he said, uh, his name was Stanley, and he says, as I went to interview David Livingston, he says, as I went to interview him and to work at his side to see his love and the way that he ministered daily to these, to these people that he went to, he says, that in itself convinced me of the reality of his Christian faith. And he says, and I began, I, I began to work side by side. And he actually uh, became one of his assistants uh, in the work in the Congo. So, so Paul sees the gospel changing his enemies, right? Here's his enemies. And what does the Bible tell us to do? Love your enemies. That's hard to do, isn't it? Think about it. When somebody is trying to get, do, do you in, it's not the first response is loving. <laughs> it's like, ah. Uh, but I'm supposed to pray for my enemies, right? Romans chapter 12. Uh, I'm supposed to, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll repay. You know, and sometimes if you go on media out there, I mean, there's a lot of media out there, and there's a lot of hatred in people that, in some of the stuff they're saying, right? But will we convince the world that the gospel's real if all, our, if all we have is anger and hate in our hearts? Maybe praying for my enemies, praying that God would open eyes, that God would open the door to, to Caesar's household, the White House, or wherever it is, that God would actually have a voice in those places for, for the gospel. But, but notice Paul doesn't stop there. He says, not only does he, is the imperial guard being reached, in verse 14 he says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word. Now, now notice he prayed for what? Their love to abound more and more for God and for what? For one another. And now what's happening? He's loving his enemies. Isn't that the most excellent thing? I could hate my enemies. I wish they were dead. Or I could pray for them that God would save them. And secondly, he's praying that our love would abound for each other. And he's saying... He, through his suffering, the brothers and sisters. Now, that word brothers there is the word adelphoi. It means brothers and sisters, ladies. You know, I, I sometimes wish translations were a little clearer because sometimes women th- look at that and they say, well, where are the women in this book? Well, that word adelphoi was the word used for. It implies that there's brothers and sisters, moms and dads, boys and girls in a family. And it's saying, look... Through Paul's suffering, those people were encouraged to what? Share the good news with others. That's encouraging. I mean, he's encouraging the brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that, that should be one of our goals in the Christian life is, look, I'm not, I'm not here. We shouldn't be here. I'm here to discourage you. From the, you know, we're here to encourage, to build up the body of Christ, to one another in the body of Christ, to love one another, to forgive one another, to, 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 you know, to encourage and support one another. Um, 
And we can do that because we know that even if the nations are, I mean, think about all the things that are happening. And I believe that, yes, COVID is real. And I don't know what the next phase is going to bring. But I do know this. The nations are dropping the bucket compared to the, to the greatness and the sovereignty of God. Isaiah 40, verse 15, Paul says that the nations, I mean, that actually Isaiah says the nations are like a drop in a bucket. He's just basically saying, look, all the fears that you and I have about all the things that are going on around us should not be, we should not be shaken by that. Because, I mean, think about when you buy, go to a, a local market and you buy some just freshly dug potatoes, and you put those on a scale, I want a pound, of, well, five pounds of potatoes. That's still a lot of potatoes, but say five pounds of potatoes. Now, how much does that dust weigh on those potatoes? He says that's how much the nations weigh. They're a drop in the bucket. They're, 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 they, don't, they don't even tip the scale. I mean, think about it. All the great nations, I mean, you know, the Chinas, the Russias, the, the, the USA, all of those things, that's, and all the power that goes behind that, and all the wealth that goes behind that, and all, everything, all the big stuff, all of that stuff compared to who God is and what God can and do, can do, his authority and power, it's a drop in the bucket. Wow. And then he says, now, children, don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry about what you eat, you drink, what you're going to wear. Why? Because you are more precious to me than any of those things. He says the nations, he says the Gentiles worry about that stuff all the time. You don't have to. Doesn't mean we don't work. <laughs> but Paul's saying without my imprisonment, the people wouldn't be speaking about the gospel. And isn't that really what should happen? Because the voice of the church is not just the voice of the pastor. It's the voice of the people. It's the people that are to represent the body of Christ, and the pastor is one of many, whom God uses to reach out to a community that needs to hear what God has done in our lives. And that's not really us sharing the gospel. This is what God's done in my life. And uh, Satan loves to silence. He likes to silence not only our witness, but he'd love to silence the whole witness of the church. But there's a third point that uh, I just want to share with you in closing, and that is, is Paul had critics. You know, as you, as you and I serve the Lord, not everyone's going to want to hear the message, right? And some people are going to use the occasions that we're going through even as a way of making things worse for us. I mean, Paul did. And here he says some were preaching Christ from envy and rivalry. Can you imagine preaching Christ out of envy, out of a desire to hurt Paul, or to in some way demean his reputation, or to demonize him as a as a as an as an elder as a pastor or an apostle an elder, and he's saying that there's people that do that. But he says others are preaching Christ out of goodwill. He says, but I really don't care about that because it's not my reputation that's at stake. It's Jesus. He says I just rejoice Jesus is being preached. Now I don't think he would say that if this had been the Galatians, because they were preaching a different gospel. They were preaching. Believe in Jesus Christ plus works equals salvation. They weren't preaching that. Now, Paul does criticize some people that are preaching a different kind of Jesus in Philippians 3, but this is not the group. 
But he's saying even if brothers and sisters that were sharing the gospel were doing that out of envy and strife. In other words, they were, they were so jealous of his popularity that they were using that as a saying. Well, see, what Paul, why is Paul in prison for two years? He must have done something terrible. And they were using it as an occasion to undermine the message. And Paul says, I really don't care. But if Jesus is preached, guess what? The word of God is not chained. 2 Timothy chapter two, or chapter 1, I think it's verse 15. I can't, I'd have to check that verse. But anyway, it says, Paul says, I'm in prison. But he says, the word of God is not chained. I'm chained, but the word of God's not. So what does that tell me about the power of the gospel in your life and my life? It means that even in those moments when we're going through the worst of situations and we feel imprisoned by our circumstances, guess what? The Word of God's not chained. That Word has power to encourage people, to save people, to renew people, to build up the body of Christ. And he's saying, you know, don't, don't allow the enemy to silence, not, not even your critics, to silence your witness and testimony for Christ. Um, I, I think that's a powerful testimony to the power of the Word and so, uh, Paul, I wanted to share just a couple, just closing points. And, it's more, and, and part of these are just, just implications from what Paul's just said about his providence. And that is, is that you and I are more than conquerors. Why? Because God, even like in our circumstances, God uses that witness as a way of saying to the world, look, nothing, nothing in all the world can separate you from the love of Christ. Not even your circumstances. Not even your problems, not even your discouragement, not even the, the, the things that you can't change will never change God's love for you. And he's saying you are more than conquerors. The circumstances, yes, you can't change them, but God can. But I found that in those circumstances when I've uh, had critics even, uh, you know what the best thing to do when you have a critic? Pray for them. And in that moment, on the, and you know what it does? It doesn't just necessarily change their hearts, but it does change your heart towards your critic. Actually, to love your critic, to love somebody and say, you know, you're critical because you don't really think God's real. You're a critic, and you're, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you're looking at the world from a different lens than I am. And this is the lens that I'm looking through. It's the gospel lens. God loves me. And he demonstrated that love on the cross. So that's one thing is, is the comfort from knowing that you're more than conquerors. Yes, the situation may not change, but God's comfort is this. You are a conqueror through Christ Jesus. And what really matters is this, is that for Paul, what mattered is that not his reputation, but the gospel was being, was being shared with people. You know, people, I mean, the despair that people are are. are, are they're going through uh, discouragement. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, I think about children, for example, uh, Allison was mentioning, and just how, you know, and, and just, you know, the people that we, the, all around us, there's just so much despair and discouragement. Because what does the news preach? Uh, news does not preach positive, right? It just preaches more bad news. And the more you listen to the bad news, all of a sudden you start believing all the bad news. And you forget about God is a God of providence. God is working in this situation, even in this moment. But you know, he's put us in those, those situations. 
And your love that you extend to people in those moments through your witness and testimony is the way God touches that person's life. Those are the people that they'll remember. You say, well, that child will never remember anything. Oh, don't, 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 don't you believe that? Uh, that God uses that. What really matters is that Christ is preached and Christ is shared in those moments. So, um, so yes, Paul was rejoicing not in his, his suffering, but he was saying, this is a moment for me to give thanks that my sufferings, God, I mean, he saw that his suf- without his suffering, what? The imperial guard would not have heard the gospel. Caesar's household would not have heard the gospel. The brothers would not have been, brothers and sisters would not be encouraged and be bold to, to share Christ. Because, you know, there's fear in people's hearts. And he says, and even people who are my critics, they preach the gospel. It's a win-win for Paul. And so I think, you know, in, in these moments when we're hearing the negative and we're hearing all the negative things in their, our society, we do have a lot to give thankful, thanksgiving for. Even in our prison, whatever that is, whatever we see as a prison. or th- Prison is just something you can't change on your own. But we have a God who's there with us in that moment. And he's changing us through that prison to make us more like Jesus. And that's hard sometimes. I I mean, I always tell, Lord, I know I had a lot of rough edges, but when I'm going through these trials, I didn't realize I had so many. But but what what happens to us when, you know, if a brother or sister comes to you and they're going through a similar trial in their their life, you know what happens when when you've gone through that? You actually can, you can, you can, you can empathize with them. In fact, instead of being their critic and saying, if you were more like me, you wouldn't have that problem. That's a terrible testimony. It's just saying, you know, wow, you know, I, I've been going through something very similar. And, and you know, just listen to, to their, their, their story, their testimony, their struggle. And you know what they need? They usually need a hand and a prayer, right? They don't need my criticism. I mean, the world, people have enough of that. But they do need the compassion that you and I have to offer. And guess what that is? That's the compassion of Jesus. That's what the church is about, really. I mean, I don't think, you know, the church, you know, people say, well, you know, the church has so many problems. Yeah, you're right. We have tons of problems. <laughs> Every church does. But guess what? This is the means that God chose to use to reach the world because the world needs to see the love and the compassion of Jesus. And so may God grant us that in our prison to rejoice with Paul, but rejoice in those moments that God is in control and that he's working out all things for a higher good. I may not ever see it right now in this life, but the higher good is is being accomplished by God's sovereign grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and it is a powerful word to us that, Lord, you're in control. And, Father, I thank you for that, and thank you for the witness of your church. Father, thank you for uh, the power of the gospel, that we have a message to, to share with the world that's, uh, they're critical, they're angry, but we'll, we have a message of hope, and we have a message of grace, and we have a message of compassion. And, Father, we thank you for that, and we thank you that you can use even our struggling words and even our struggling testimony uh, to be a light, Father, to 
to the world of the love of Christ. And it's in his name we pray.